Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate you sharing the podcast. As I've mentioned before, you can't donate, but the things you can do is continue to leave reviews um, for the podcast, especially on Apple. Um, for the book I wrote, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, you can buy that book, share that book. All the proceeds to that book do not go to me. They go to a memorial scholarship fund for a a gay teenager, you can leave a review for that book on Amazon and Desert Book. And I appreciate all of you that are doing that. I read the reviews and I'm really appreciative. I, um, so that's the only housekeeping thing. It's monsoon season. As I never talk about some of my personal interests, but you should know how much I love monsoon season. Listeners, I thought I would always be a weatherman. And it's July in Utah, it's monsoon season. So I just watched the radar app and hope and pray that big thunderstorms come to the Salt Lake City area. And it's been a couple years. So anyway, maybe that'll happen sometime. And then I'll get to talk about that. But we are here to talk with my friend, Blake Hogue. Welcome to the podcast, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Will you share with our listeners how to spell your name? Yeah, it's H-O-G-G-E. And Blake um, reached out to me, and he's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. And as you listeners know, I try to do a little bit of a bio, and I'll do that with Blake. Blake served a mission. Blake grew up in Utah County, um, served a mission in Tampa. But tell us, our listeners, about the unique mission you served in Tampa. Yeah, uh, so I learned uh, Haitian Creole. And that is very cool. How many missionaries in Tampa um, were learned that language? Yeah, there was actually only eight of us. So, and were you like a permanent district and just had the same companions, or so did you have English the, companions at times? No, uh, uh-uh. we were always together. So, at the very beginning, we had our own district, um, but our mission president felt after time that it was kind of segregating the missionaries from the English and the Spanish missionaries. So he. Um, he combined us together, which I think was a good thing because at the beginning, um, I feel like that was kind of an issue with, you know, dealing with other missionaries and you obviously are there for the same purpose. So I'm glad that he did that and had the revelation to do that. I like that. And um, thanks for your service. And Thank I know you. you're deeply connected to the Haitian people. And we know that's a particularly troubled country right now. And so our prayers, Blake and I, um, prayers go to that country and all the good people there. Blake spent some time at SUU, that Southern Utah University, but Blake has become, uh, you know, I don't know, world-renowned, Utah-renowned, <laughs> Western United States-renowned photographer. Tell our listeners a little bit about your career in photography. Yeah, so I've been full-time for about five years now. Um, got my first camera six years ago. It started as a hobby and um, mainly started shooting landscapes and shooting outside. I, I, I love, I've always loved to be outside. I grew up outside, um, you know, grew up camping and fishing. That's what my family loves to do. And so I feel really connected to, you know, I was with myself outside and, uh, started shooting landscape. And then my friends started asking me to shoot them for fun. Um, and then one of my mission companions actually asked me to shoot his wedding. And I was really hesitant because I had never done it before. And I was really honest with him. I was like, Hey, like, this is a really big deal. Like you're getting married and you probably want to have someone who has some experience. Cause I don't have any. And, uh, he trusted me and I actually ended up doing it cause his budget really wasn't there. And I think I made like 200 bucks or something, which at the time I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. And, uh, it was a really positive experience for me. And I kind of 
really focused on shooting uh, people. And I finally got to the point where when I was down at school, if I had, I kind of made a decision that I was going to leave school and focus on photography and, you know, I'm at where I'm at today. So I'm super grateful for that experience. Tell our listeners some of the countries you've gone. This is kind of a cool thing because I realize wedding photographers can get hired to go to different countries in the world and all their expenses are paid and current and, and they still charge fees for their services. Tell our listeners some of the places you've gone. Yeah. So I've been to Prague, the Czech Republic, um, Italy, um, Ireland, um, New Zealand, Mexico. Yeah. That's cool. I would love to go to New Zealand yeah. someday. New I don't Zealand. know if that was one of your favorites. But it that... definitely was. Yeah. Hopefully I'll get to go back down there again because I was only there for a week. Um, I kind of made a trip out of it um, just because you don't really get to go there very often. And a week wasn't enough time to experience all of the beauty that's there. Uh Tell our listeners just, uh, I know you're on Instagram. I think you have, as I connected with you on Instagram, you have, you put a lot of your photography on Instagram and you have a really, I don't know what the right vocabulary is, well-followed over 30 or 40,000 followers. Tell our listeners your Instagram account so they can connect with your work. Yeah. So it's just my name. It's just at Blake Hogue, B-L-A-K-E-H-O-G-G-E. And as I scanned through your Instagram after I think you DM'd me, um, all of your posts on Instagram are the, you know, are, is your work. Yep. Except this one post in there about you coming out. So in the middle, I just thought that was a great way to do that. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about the timing of that post, and then we'll kind of go into the content in that post. How long ago did that come out? Um, that was like a month ago. Yep. So roughly June of 2021. Mm-hmm. What caused you to, you've got this big platform, and I'm not sure you've done anything personal on the platform. I didn't scan through everything, but what caused you to s decide to use your platform to come out? Yeah, um, you know, I definitely don't post enough about myself as I should. I feel like that's definitely something, you know, potential clients like to see is to get to know their photographer. It's a big decision, so that's something that I need to work on. Um, I try to be present on stories and stuff, which I think helps. But as far as posting goes, yeah, I, I try to stick to my work. Um, I don't know why I chose to, to share that on my photography page. I think I definitely interact more on that page than my personal one. Um, I probably check my personal one maybe like once a week um, compared to uh, my other account, which I check every day just because people reach out to me via inquiries and want to talk, chat with me there, which is totally fine. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I know why I chose to do it on there. I just, you know, I just feel like maybe, um, people could connect on a different way, you know, and starting to get to know the real me instead of me, you know, focusing on, you know, my photography, I think, you know, being personal is so important as, you know, in any job and people want to get to know the, the you that, you know, that you are. And I think that's kind of where the idea stemmed off of, um, you know, I kind of went back and forth deciding if I was going to do that or not, um, for about a year and a half. And I finally felt good about doing it at that time. There was no particular reason why I chose, uh, last month to do it. It kind of just happened and yeah. I thought you did a good job of it and it's, um, and I thought it was great that you're all the people there know this part about you, your authentic self. And yeah. I think that was great. Thank you so much. Um, just kind of take us before your mission. Were you 
Um, just talk to us about your sexual orientation, your road, your emotional health, anything you want to share pre-Tampa. Yeah. So uh, growing up, um, definitely um, my family's big sport. My dad's into sports. All my brothers, they played on the, the baseball team in high school and uh, you know, usually played like those three main sports, which were like baseball, basketball, football. Um, and that was something that was super important to my family. And I wasn't necessarily connected to really any sport really. Um, but I gave it a go cause my, I knew how it meant, it meant to my father. Um, so I played those sports until I was about 12, 11, 12. And I finally got to the point where I just, you know, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And it was like dragging my feet to practice and doing all of that. And I think my f- dad really started to realize that. And he said, if you don't want to do this anymore, then you don't. And I didn't, I stopped playing sports and I just, you know, growing up, I always knew I was different. It's something that I can't really explain. Um, I feel like, you know, the best way that I can compare it to is, you know, you don't really think about being straight. You just kind of are. And I feel like somewhere along the way that kind of got lost when it comes to somebody who is gay. It's like they make it this huge ordeal when in all reality, like I know I was born this way. Um, and it's something that I don't really have to explain um, because I, I, I honestly can't. I just have always known. Talk about your mental health before your mission. Were you okay emotionally or some of um, my guests get in really tough spots as yeah. they're recognizing they're gay and not really sharing that with anybody? I think I tried to push it in the back of my mind, definitely. And there were days that I was not in a good place um, mentally, um, wondering why I was going through what I was going through, if it wasn't worth me being alive. You know, stuff like that, obviously, like those are really tough subjects to talk about, but it's really real things. And um, a lot of people experience those feelings, whether they are gay or not. It's definitely something I think that we need to normalize is mental health. Um, it's a big deal for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so there were definitely days where that were really, really, really hard. And I felt like I couldn't talk about those things because, you know, being in the area that I was and, you know, the religion that, um, you know, that I grew up and loved and participated in, um, it wasn't the normal. And I think I was just trying to suppress that because it, I was taught my whole life that it wasn't normal. Did you come out to anybody before your mission? I didn't. Any advice for high schoolers listening, closeted high schoolers that are not out? Would you encourage them all to come out, not to come out, or just do, or just decide what's best for them? And just talk to that group. Any of your thoughts yeah, for that group? I think you there's there shouldn't be like an expectation. I just think you need to just listen to how you're feeling and assess your scenario, um, your living scenario, and if you feel good about coming out um, to whoever then I think that you should. Um, but if you don't feel good about it, and I think for me too, it was something that I thought was just going to be a phase too. Um, even though when I look back at it now, I know that this is who I am. Um, it's always who I have been. Um, but at the time, you know, learning, you know, dealing with, you know, sexuality and, in the church, you know, you hear these things and you're like, oh, maybe this is just something that I just have to go through and, 
experience and hopefully it'll just go away. So it's a great, great answer. Really thoughtful answer. Talk about um, just your mindset as you flew to Florida about your sexual orientation. You're probably not thinking about it too much. You've got this language to learn in this new climate. And, and when you, as you came home, I don't know if there was any different feeling about your sexual orientation or if it wasn't on, I mean, some kind of go there thinking that I'll kind of be straight on the, this will make me straight. And some, they're just to focus on their mission. They really aren't thinking about it on the flight home or the flight there. So any yeah. thoughts about just your mission and mm-hmm. further personal revelation about who you are and yeah. your path? So when I was preparing to go, um, I knew like in the back of my mind that this is something that I was dealing with. Um, but I felt like it was something that I had to kind of figure out on my own. Um, you know, having my interviews to prepare to go. I didn't tell my bishops or anything that I was struggling with same-sex attraction. Um, And I feel like that was okay. Um, You know, that's something that I don't know if, you know, if it is or not, but, you know, that's the decision that I decided to do. Um, And I didn't talk about it. Um, I felt like that I could go. I prayed about it. Um, I had you know, these conversations with God, um, with myself, I mean, he knew, um, and I would, you know, specifically remember as I was preparing to go, I, you know, praying that I really wanted to do this because my dad had such great experiences and all of my siblings went too. Um, and, you know, it was just something that was expected of me to go. Um, but I could have chosen not to go. And I think that would have been okay as well. My parents would have been fine with that. Um, but I did choose to go and I just remember having conversation, a conversation with God, you know, kind of telling him, Hey, this is what I'm going through. Um, and I hope that it's okay that I still go cause I want to, and I ended up doing it and it was a really good decision. I, if I would choose to go back in time and choose to do it again, I would. So. It's a great, great answer. I think you credit to your parents for teaching you the principles of our faith, personal revelation, and that you um, understood that well enough to take that to God. And even though I think it's fine, there's no requirement, listeners, that I'm aware of where you need to disclose your sexuality um, to any priesthood leader at any point in your life. You know, it's not a question that is in any sort of, you know, so I think that's your space to decide if you want to share or not. Yeah. And uh, I think you did a great job. Um, talk about, I was scared to death of learning a language. And luckily I learned, I went to England listeners. Talk about just earn, learning Creole, if that's how I say it. Yeah. So I actually remember very vividly opening my mission call. Um, when I read that I was going to Florida, I just kind of assumed I was going to be learning English. <laughs> so I kind of set my papers down and my brother was like, you got to look at like, like what language are you like, you could either like be Spanish or English. Like, you know, you got to look and see what it says. And I continued to read and I just kind of like had these, my eyes just kind of opened wide. And I was like, I've never heard of this language before in my entire life. And they're like, well, what was it? And I botched the pronunciation. I had no idea. I think I probably yeah. did too. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and then my brother was like, oh, it's Haitian Creole. And I was like, oh. And I just like, was like, I think I was shocked. I just had never heard of the language. And I remember when all of my friends and family, extended family went home, I went on YouTube and, 
looked up what the language sounded like, and it, I was I got really really excited. You so, got excited. How 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 did you do learning the language? Did, was it hard for you? Easy for you? Kind it of was. Similar? I think it was harder for me compared to my companions. Um, most of my companions picked it up pretty easy. Um, school and just learning new things in general has been kind of hard for me. And I feel like that was another reason why I decided to drop out of college as well, because I was barely getting by grade wise, um, which also is fine. You know, everybody has their own struggles when it comes to, you know, what decide what they want to do with their life. Um, But yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, I just remember being in the MTC, um, you know, learning the language with my teacher and you know, doing those scenarios where you would go and go with your companion and teach a, you know, a fake investigator, um, and they'd want you to do it all in the language. And it was okay if you use the pamphlet. And I was just like trying to read and understand, like trying to remember, okay, this is what this means. And, you know, it definitely took me a while. I think around eight months is when I started to, you know, feel like, okay, like I can, I can do this and I can, can teach in the language. And then probably after a year, I, felt good about just talking to people about, you know, really anything. So that's great. What a miracle to learn a language like that. And yeah. thanks for your service and all the people that are better off yeah, because of you, you companions, members, investigators, people on the street. Thank you. Talk to, I tell our listeners how old you are right now. I'm 29. So this is roughly eight, nine years since you've been home. Mm-hmm. Um, talk with our listeners, just your road to try to date women, um, date men, be celibate, kind of come out to people wherever you want to go next, Blake. Yeah. So when I got home, um, uh, my mission president was awesome. Um, and his wife, I still have a really good relationship with them and, uh, experiencing my mission with them was, uh, one of the greatest, you know, experiences of my entire life. And I just remember my exit interview and, you know, he talked about the importance of, you know, learning, um, what you learned on your mission. Um, and he talked about, you know, obviously you go out and serve other people, but it's all about who God wants you to become. And I believe that to this day. And it, my mission has definitely steered me into the person that I know who God wants me to be. And, you know, he talked about dating and, you know, really considering uh, finding the person that was right for you, um, which, you know, was kind of hard to hear because I knew even in that interview that I was still dealing with same-sex attractions. So when I got home, um, I started to date casually with women and it was a major sense of anxiety for me. Um, I have dealt with anxiety my entire life. Um, something that I still manage to, to take control over. Um, it's hard, hard some days to deal with. Um, but you know, I just remember sitting down one day and, you know, remembering, you know, the prayer that I had pre-mission about, you know, giving it all my all, um, and, you know, proving to God, like, if I could do this, that hopefully he would make me straight. And it, you know, it was something that I was still going through. Um, and I finally got to the point where I couldn't date anymore. And it was just, it was so hard for me to just even attempt to do it because I just had no connection whatsoever with dating women. And as much as I tried and tried and tried and, you know, trying to, to hone in on the advice that, you know, my church leaders and specifically my mission president gave me, and I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And I gave him my all, but, uh, I started at that moment, I think I started to listen to 
to myself and what I needed to do at that time. And that's when I started to stop dating. It was probably like 2014. Thanks for being so honest. Talk, I think our listeners understand, but talk about why dating brought you anxiety. There was a lot of issues that would come into my mind. Um, primarily the one that came into my mind was me not being honest with myself and with a potential partner. Um, and I don't want to take that away from anybody deciding to pursue that. Um, that's their own journey. And I think a lot of people would, you know, obviously not take that back either. And I have talked with friends who are openly gay and who did decide to to marry a woman at the beginning and it didn't work out and that's fine. Um, but I think the biggest concern for me was not being honest with myself, but also my partner. Um, you know, marriage is a huge commitment and I still believe that it is. It's a, it's something that I'm, I'm striving, you know, hopefully one day it'll happen for me. Um, it just hasn't happened yet and that's fine. I'm still trying to navigate through that, but um, I, I just, you know, would continue to thoughts would come into my mind about how I wouldn't be honest with my, with my spouse. And, you know, I would pray and have conversations with God about like, is if you want me to fake it and hide that part of my life, then I'll do it. Um, I just need to find the right person. And that person never came. And, you know, I'm glad that it didn't. And I think that was also like my instances where I couldn't date because that was still in the back of my mind of me knowing that I was gay, but I hadn't even like said it out loud to myself, but, you know, thinking about another person and what me being me would do to them. And it was just a, a whole other thing that, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about and think about. And, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty selfless person um, when it comes to thinking about other people's feelings. And I, I finally realized, like, I just couldn't do that to somebody, like not being able to fully love them the way that they deserve to be loved. You're a very good communicator, Blake. Talk about your emotional health. Some, once they recognize, feel their path isn't to marry a woman, and that hope that's sort of kind of been there and you're good about saying you don't want to create a feeling that if that's somebody else's path, you don't want to say that can't work. You're very good about that. But talk about just your mental health when you've came to the conclusion that's not going to be your path. Was it? Did that make it harder for you or better for you? I think it made it harder. I think uh, when I realized that it wasn't going to work out, I was, you know, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? You know, it's like you grow up in primary and you learn that you know there's steps to be taken to be you know, in the place of heaven that, you know, God wants you to be at. And, you know, that's such a pivotal thing that you have to do is to be sealed for time and all eternity to a woman. And uh, I think once I started to realize like that wasn't going to be reality for me, it really hit me hard. And I knew it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to happen. And I would have questions in my mind of like, well, what's going to happen to me when I die? And it's just so many things would go through my head and, you know, that's when anxiety would get really, really, really bad. And, you know, I would almost try and just not think about it at times. Like, thankfully, there were aspects in my life where I could focus on other things. Like, that's when I dropped out of school and I was pursuing my photography career full time. And um, I think I was focusing on all of those other aspects of my life that I didn't, you know, at that time, I used that as an excuse not to date. That's what I would tell my parents. Like, I don't have time 
you know, I have, I have four shoots a week. I have a wedding every weekend. I don't have time to, to make that a priority. And I know at the time that hurt them deeply because they know, you know, marriage is such a, it's a huge, uh, stepping stone in the right direction. Um, you know, at least, you know, at that time for my parents, that's what it was. And, you know, watching my siblings get married and having kids of their own and, you know, parents, you know, they obviously want what's best for you. And, you know, that can also coordinate to negative feelings when, you know, dealing with, you know, especially something that I was going through that wasn't going to be a reality for me. Did, did photography help you emotionally? Oh, and just yeah. give, talk about the role of photography just to kind of get you through this difficult spot. Time. Yeah. Photography saved my life. Why? For sure. Um, I think it was a way for me to kind of suppress how I was feeling at the time. Cause even at that time, like I hadn't, I, I knew I was dealing with same sex attraction, but still hadn't like admitted that I was gay myself. And it was a good distraction for me, um, to focus on other people and their happiness. And it worked for a, a long time. And I am grateful for that because, you know, Photographing other people in love, it's 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 awesome. Um, and I still love to do it. Um, and it's a way that I'm able to connect to other people in a way that is really vulnerable. And, you know, being able to have people open up and take their picture. And, you know, my goal with every session is I don't really go into each session the same. Um, I send out huge questionnaires. Like, it's a huge process for me to be able to get to know my couple so that I can photograph them the way that's authentically them. Um, and that's something that I take pride in and I love that about my job. Um, and I feel like when I was able to focus on that, um, I think it was kind of, it was able to help me focus on something else that I wasn't gay. Fascinating. I love that you, I've never heard of a photographer that would send out something ahead of time to get to know they're a couple in an authentic way. And, and somehow intuitively that would give you better creative skills to capture their moment in this. I've never thought of that. Yeah. So it's really cool. Kind of how I go into, you know, for an engagement suit, let's say, uh, right before I start, I kind of explain my process. I call myself like a director, I guess, a creative director, and I just want to tell their story. So, um, I don't really pose my couples. It's more directing. And I tell them that I'm pretend that I'm filming a video, that I'm actually a videographer, not a photographer. And when I prompt them to do something like play with their hair, continue to do that, grab her face, you know, passionately kiss, come out of that smile at each other, you know, do those things. It really creates authentic moments. And, you know, when you have a personal relationship with your clients, it, it helps to be able to create those moments that aren't so stiff, which is fun. How many couples, how many weddings have you done, would you guess? Oh, man, 200 plus at this point, I think. I assume all those are straight couples. I don't know. Yeah, if actually, I've never photographed a same-sex wedding before. So, What's it like on you emotionally? Just talk with our listeners about the end of those shoots. And as you're driving back alone, that's what I'm thinking of you right now is at the end of a, maybe a multiple-day event and they're off starting their lives together and you're driving back to wherever you live alone. Um, I don't know, just what what's that like, knowing that what their happiness is something that's out of your control. You can't, you can't do anything to have that experience in your life. Yeah. Um, 
I think at the very beginning, um, you know, like I said, I was so focused on building my, um, my career that, you know, those thoughts didn't really come into my mind. And it wasn't until like maybe three years ago. And I would, those thoughts would start to come into my brain when I would drive home from shoots or fly home. And after, you know, spending a whole day with my couple who had just gotten married, like the happiest day of their life. And I would just think, I'm like, that's never going to happen for me. I don't know if I'm ever even going to be able to get to the point where I even feel comfortable about even telling somebody that I'm gay. And I think that's when my thought process began to change. Um, You know, I had really hard conversations with myself on drives home um, when I would, you know, those thoughts would start to creep in and, you know, uh, it's, you know, thinking back on it, it's not a fun thought to think about because I wish I could go back in time and give myself a hug. Talk about all those people driving home right now, figuratively, that are kind of where you were. What would you say to your your younger self and all those people? I would just say, you know, that it's okay. And it's okay that you're feeling like this and you'll, it'll get better because it does. It gets better. And I'm glad that I was able, I feel like those conversations that I had with myself as they were hard, they were detrimental, but it got me to the point where I'm at today where I finally feel like, like I, I want to be alive, you know? So We're glad you're alive. Me too. Um, and all of you that are in a really dark spot um, around this issue and feel like, I mean, Brene Brown is a great quote in the book. I won't look it up that I wrote. It's just this physiological isolation, powerless to change. Um, it's different than being alone. It's locked out of the possibility of human connection and powerless to change it um, is sort of her quote. It's the most helpful quote I've ever read to help me understand where an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint might be. And for the sort of the context of your story being around all these married couples on their very happiest day and knowing you're kind of locked out of the possibility of that and powerless to change it you know i'm glad you're alive thank you me too um and i love your words to other people talk about um just talk about your coming out story who you came out to how those conversations went why you came out yeah so the first person I came out to was one of my really close friends who lived in California, who is also a wedding photographer. And I was there for work and I had the opportunity to meet him for the first time. And I can't remember how, you know, the conversation even got brought up. Um, but it was really late and, you know, we had gotten way past the point where, you know, we had finished eating and, um, you know, I, I just told him, uh, I just felt really safe. And we were talking about, you know, a plethora of subjects or, um, subjects and, you know, the topic of, um, being gay did get brought up, you know, photographing, you know, same sex couples. And, you know, I kind of talked about like, you know, my struggles with, you know, me kind of doubting, you know, and I kind of told him my background of like me growing up in the church and that I was having, you know, doubts of, you know, who I, who I was as a person. And I, I told him and 
I just felt like instant relief. I was like, I don't even think I like told myself like I'm gay, like just by myself. Like it was in that moment that I like told somebody else and I couldn't believe that I did it because I didn't think I ever would. And it, it felt it felt really good. Um, and I... Why? Why did it feel good and why did it feel relieving? Yeah, I just think that I finally was getting to the point where I was finally starting to accept who I was. And, you know, certain scenarios, I think I can't really remember what was happening in my life, but I just... I think as time continues to go move forward, um, people are more understanding of, you know, what it is to be gay in general, like not just being in the area that I am and in Utah, which is, you know, really, um, you know, the church is really prevalent here. Um, And, you know, that's besides the point. Um, I just think more people are starting to understand, like, maybe this isn't you know, has to be so complex. Maybe it's just how people are um, and it's how they're born. Um, and I think, you know, having those conversations with people, I think made me start to realize that like, this is who I am. And I, I was starting to feel good about it. Thank you for that segment. Talk about, did you come out to any family and share anything you want to share? Yeah, in so space? I'm trying to, that was, about three years ago, I told my friend, um, and I wasn't, I didn't really tell anybody else until I told my mom. And that was like a year and a half later. And how did that go? And what caused you to do that? Yeah. Um, we, I actually was driving her to the airport. Um, she was going to meet my sister who was living at Logan at the time. Uh, they were going to go like on a girl's trip and it was like right before um, the pandemic started. And uh, we just started talking about life and she started asking me personal questions and she finally asked me, she goes, do you want to get married? Like, is that something that you want? And I said, no. And she said, why? Like, why is that something that you don't want to do? And I told her, I was like, I it's not like that I don't want to, but I'm gay. And it was silent for a while. And I was like, oh man, I made a mistake telling her. And she finally started to talk and told me how much she loved me and that it was going to be okay. And that this doesn't change how she feels about me. And it was a really positive experience. And I... I'm so glad that I did it. You know, questions that people ask, you know, obviously, especially when you're close to somebody who is gay, you don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I've had a couple people ask me, like, why did you wait so long? Like, I just, I'm glad that you're finally to the point where you feel like you can be yourself, but why did it take you so long? And I think it just came down to expectations that I wanted to fulfill for my loved ones. And... I had conversations with myself where like I was just beating myself up and I was like, what's like, I was finally getting to the point. It's like, what's the point? Like if you're miserable and you're starting, you're living for other people, then like, that's not a life. It's not a life that anybody should live at all. And I'm so glad that I was able to, to realize that sooner rather than later. Um, You know, this is just something that 
is so unique to every single person who is gay um, is having them to take the time to realize and to tell people. Um, you know, I have talked to people who've known and told their parents when they were 15. And then I have talked to other people who told, you know, they didn't come out until they were like 40 years old. And it's just something that you just have to realize and navigate yourself. And it's just such a personal journey. It's so much more than just being gay. It's it's something that, you know, it's it's so personal. And I wish I could explain that more, um, but I can't. But, you know, in that moment in time, I just finally started to realize, like, this is going to be a, like a, a really hard chapter to go through now, but like, this is my chapter. So. Are you glad you came out to your mom on that ride to the airport? Yeah. Why? Uh, you kind of answered that, but just. Yeah. It's because I finally felt like I could be me and I was starting to accept that myself. And, um, you know, the moment I told her, I knew that I, there was no more expectation for me to be somebody that I was never going to be. And I think I realized that and my mom realized that too. So. That's relieving. And then I love this phrase that many use, I'll walk with you. And I think to walk with someone, we kind of have to know what road they're on. And and I think as parents and leaders, we can create a culture by saying kind th- things about all groups of people that make it more likely people open up to us about what's going on in their life so we can walk with them. Yeah when they're ready for us to walk with them. Yeah. Talk about where you are now. Are you dating men? Are you celibate? Talk about your hopes for the future, where you'd like to be in five yeah, or 10 so years. I, I'm def, I'm dating men. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's definitely a journey figuring it out. Uh, it's kind of a, definitely a new thing that I started doing just a couple months ago. Um, but, you know, my end goal is definitely to marry a man. So and thanks for just sharing with us where you are. Thank um, you. Yeah. This is a podcast, listeners, where I think you know I'm not trying to share one correlated story. Um, I'm an active Latter-day Saint, invite everybody to follow church teachings, and I'm also trying to just bring all these stories to listeners to help us all understand this space better and support everybody on the path that they feel is best for them and leave all of that judging to the Savior. Uh, talk about your relationship with the church. Are you um, going to church, not going to church? And then, I'm not going to church right now, no. Do you feel you would be if you were straight? Um, I try not to think about those questions because— It's probably a good answer, Blake. Yeah, because uh, it's just—it's not a—it's not the reality. It's actually a good answer. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, you know, obviously growing up and even still to this day, I know I'm going to have— you know, questions of like, why is this something that I'm going through? Um, I hope that one day I'll be 100% confident in, you know, me being gay, but I just try to take it day by day at this point. And some days I'm like, I love it. And other days I'm like, I wish I wasn't. I still have those days. And it's I'm honest. Just, yeah. Just being, trying to be honest in all my doings. So talk about your relationship with your heavenly parents. Yeah. Um, so I continue to pray. Um, I love conversating with my Heavenly Father. I know He knows um, that I am a child of God, and I know that. Um, 
he knows exactly what it is like to be me because he created me and this is how he created me. And I, I have a firm knowledge in that. I know that for a fact. Um, so, you know, you know, thinking back to, you know, me accepting who I was. And at the time I was like, it's okay. Like this is just something that I'm going to go through just in this life and in the next life, um, I won't have to deal with it anymore. But my thoughts have since changed. And I know um, when I die, I'm going to be me. Um, nothing's going to change. So, and I'm excited for that. Um, how have you been able to, someone they disconnect from the church, their kind of relationship with God is the, is connected to the church. And talk to just how you've been able to continue to be close with God. Yeah. So there was even though you're not participating in the church. Yeah. I mean, and there was definitely a time I, I mean, like I said, I want to be honest um, in all my doings. And there was definitely a time where I was very angry. Um, and, and I think it was more to do with me just not being emotionally stable um, and instead of more of dealing with, you know, the church standards. And I have since come to realize, like, it's so much more than that. Um, and I think, you know, talking to some other friends, like, why would you, you know, not tell your family members to leave the church and, and all of that? And that's not fair. Um, and I have never had that you know, thought. And even when I told my mom and then, uh, actually during that in the car, I was like, I can't tell dad yet. Like, I don't, I don't feel good about it. And she goes, okay, that's fine. And, you know, a couple of days later, she called me on the phone and, you know, I'm so glad that she was so honest. And, you know, at the time I wasn't so excited about it, but she goes, Blake, I can't keep this from your father anymore. You need to tell him. And, I was like, okay. And it, I was like, give me some time to think about it. And, you know, during that whole day, I realized I was like, I put my mom in a really uncomfortable situation. Um, and she's married to my dad. They talk about everything. Um, you know, marriage is such a strong, you know, mold that you have with another person and communication. It's what makes everything in life go round. Um, it's what makes everything successful. Communication is key to everything. And for me to say that to my mom, looking back, I wish I kind of, you know, wouldn't have said, don't tell dad, but, you know, you can't take anything back. But I'm glad that she was open and honest with me. And I got them picked up dinner, went to their house. It was during COVID. Um, so you can go out and I wouldn't have done that anyway. I would have definitely done it at home. Um, but I brought food back and I told him and he hugged me and it's pretty much the same scenario goes, I love you no matter what. And you know, going back to, yeah, I just remember telling my parents, I was like, this doesn't change anything. Um, I'm still the same me and I want you guys to do what's best for you. Um, and if that is to continue to be in the church, I love that. I want everybody to be able to be able to express how, what makes them feel good and what makes them feel closest to their heavenly father. And if, if going to church and actively participating in in the church is um, what is going to make them happy, then I'm not going to tell them not to do it. That would be, you know, kind of hypocritical of me to do that. So I hope that kind of answers that question. It's a great answer. I love the logic of your seeing the big picture of wanting, needing to tell your father and understanding you're very thoughtful of other people. 
in the middle of your own story and then talking to your dad. And I love the way you just got takeout and talked to him and the courage it took to come to and share with both of them. I love your respect for everybody's past. That's a real key part of your story here. And I, you know, I have a friend that posted on Facebook, you know, because sometimes I'll just be say, let's be kind to people that have left our faith. And she said, you know, let's, she has some people in her life that have left the faith and kind of want her to leave with them. Yeah. And I like, and I recognize some people have left the faith, feel a lot of pain. Um, there's that leads to anger that gets directed sometimes to loved ones in the faith. Um, there may not, and there's logic in that. I get that. And especially if you're gay, there's, it's harder to see your place. If you're straight, it's a little easier to see your place. So it's complicated. And I've learned to validate all that pain, but I admire where you are, that you recognize the joy the church brings to people in your life that are in the church. Yeah, It's a, re, it's a, it, it's a, it shows a lot of grace. Grace is the best word I can use, Blake. And I just admire where you are spiritually and emotionally. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said too. Um, I, I had very positive experiences growing up in the church. It, it made me into the person who I am today. And I will always be an advocate if people choose to continue to live in the faith. It, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it definitely helps people put into perspective and it makes people better. So I think listeners, one of our, you know, sign of our baptism covenants is how we treat people that transition out of our faith. Uh, we've never really talked about that. Elder Uchtdorf has sort of built some empathy there in some of his talks about good people who separate themselves that are asked questions for years and he humanizes them in a conference talk. And I think a very appropriate way. And I think I mean, my post was something, let's be a peculiar people in the sense how we treat people in our faith, considering our faith with no faith that have left our faith. Um, but because of our understanding of the restored gospel, I think we should be the most kind to everybody because at the end of the day, we all believe and know that we're the same children of heavenly parents. We all chose the same thing in the pre-earth life. We're all part of this mortal experience to choose agency and and find our best road forward. So I think we could be the most loving and and be the kindest when someone separates from the church and thank them for all the service they did, why they're in the church. And I think if we did that, we build less divisiveness and people maybe are less angry and just are more at peace as we support them going forward. It's hard, listeners. If it's a family member and you've had this feeling about what your your family would be and now you've got somebody that's separating themselves from the church and headed towards the same-sex marriage. I get that's hard, but most of the families have been on this road for a while that I interact with. Just the personal revelation they get from their heavenly parents is all I'm supposed to do in this situation is love. Yeah. And when they get to that point, they're not supposed to fix it. They're not supposed to somehow, they're just, it's relieving to them, Blake. They just yeah. go, I can do that. If that's yeah. what my heavenly parents want me to do is keep the family circle together. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah. I any agree. thoughts on any of that? Yeah. Um, I think it goes more into just, you know, respecting everybody's, you know, personal belief. Um, you know, me saying that I'm going to be respectful no matter what you believe. I just expect the same in return. And, you know, personal revelation and dealing with, you know, 
what you believe personally is it's hard to explain to other people because it's I just feel, you know, spirituality is so personal. Um, and it's hard to explain because I feel like it's just kind of almost a fiber of your being. And you just need at the end of the day to realize like if they're a good person and they make good choices and they make you feel good and their presence isn't harming, then, you know, that's a positive scenario. I just, you know, being angry and having self-doubt and worry and stress. And it's just, it's not a life that I want to continue to live. And um, it, it's definitely a hard road to navigate through all of this, but it's not fair for anybody involved just to continue to have negative feelings towards any aspect of life. It's, those are the people that you don't want to be around. And, you know, it, it you know, eventually when you start to be around it enough, it, it takes a toll on yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, people will decide what they want to do regardless, no matter what you have to say about it. Um, and I think the sooner you accept that and realize that people are just going to do what they want to do and what's going to make them happy and not really focus on, you know, the big picture and trying to change or, you know, prove that like how, the way that you live is the right way and just kind of take a step back and realize like they're their own person. They're dealing with their own thing. And maybe the way that I live isn't meant to, it's not all like there's one right or wrong way. It's just your own way. And you have to figure that out on your own. And, you know, you just have to remember that you want other people to respect how you want to live and you need to give the same back in return. Go back to when you were, um, pre-mission. Um, I'm just thinking if you have any advice for leaders or parents that are listening that kind of want to do the right thing in the sense they recognize there's closeted people within their circle. Yeah. Um, a seminary teacher, a bishop, a young woman's leader, a parent, and they just have an impression there's closeted people in their circle and they they don't necessarily want to force them to come out. They just want to say the right things so that they, even if they stay closeted, they'll just, their, their emotional health will feel better. They just feel a little better. Any, or maybe come out, just any advice to that group that's listening? Yeah. Um, I think a thing to remember um, when it comes to if you like have suspicions or not, um, you know, that it's just something that that person might be going through personally. Um, and until you actually know, you, you never do. Um, so my advice to be to anybody, you know, having concerns about something that somebody is going through it specifically, if they do think that they are closeted is just to be, uh, there for them regardless and just treat them the same as anybody else and remind them that they are loved and they are supported and no matter what decision they or life they want to take, um, I think is huge. And that's what I felt going to seminary. Um, growing up, I knew my instructors loved me and wanted what was best for me and my church leaders and my bishops and all of that stuff. They never asked me two personal questions where I felt uncomfortable, but I knew um, they loved me regardless, just based off of just being there for me and, you know, going to church activities and stuff like that was something that I never worried about because I just knew that they cared about me regardless. So... Good answer. Um, 
I've had a couple conversations with parents that just have kids that are starting to come out in high school. And a lot of those youth, rightly so, want to kind of finish their story right there. And my general advice, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Blake, is I think it's okay just to not know your story. There's a lot of, even though I think it's natural to know, well, I'm LGBTQ, I'm LDS, how is this going to work? You know, and especially in my 20s, when my straight friends start to date and get married, is how is this going to work for me? And my advice to that group is, I think you can, you don't need to answer any of those questions right now. You yeah, can I just agree. Agree work you. on foundational principles that'll help you just be a better person. Right. Education, whatever things you're excelling at, just be the very best you can and develop your relationship, your personal relationship with your heavenly parents and the Savior. Because they, like Blake has shared with us, know the road you're walking. And I think I do like Elder Bednar's talk um, about fog. And a lot of the times the personal revelation you get is it's not dramatic, like light switch type revelation. It's just as you move forward in your life, the fog lifts enough as you receive personal revelation to know the next step you need to take. And and then as you move forward, you know the next step. Um, I like that talk. And I, it's been how most of my personal revelation has been received. Um, but I just take you know, don't you don't need to figure out your story right now that at the right time in your 20s, probably you'll have much more context. And I would say, like Blake, I think, is saying also, um, if you're not sure about your story in your 20s and you're not sure exactly where your relationship would be as the church, I wouldn't rule out a mission then at 19, wherever, however age we go, 18. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think you should not go on a mission because you might be out of the church in your 20s. I think... You could, I think the foundation of your, I just don't think God's going to be like, so, you know, judge you worse if that's, if he's going to judge you at all. I just don't want to go down and into God's mind and see how he's going to treat you for spending two years of your life helping people come into Christ and feel love and hope. I just, there's a side of me that just recognizes there's a lot of people in Florida that are yeah. better off because of Elder Hogue's mission. Right. And I think that makes him happy. <laughs> oh, I agree. I think it goes so much more than, you know, the logistics part of preparing to serve a mission. I think, you know, just going out and doing it is just such a huge, amazing thing on its own. And I just, I have so much respect for every single missionary in the past and the present who will continue to go out in the future and do it because it's such an amazing opportunity to, you know, really there's so many things that I learned on my mission, you know, spiritually and not that made me into who I am today. And it, it kind of put into retrospect that I'm not alone. And there are people everywhere that deserve to have the opportunity to become better. And I feel like that's what, you know, missions do. Um, it helps you and it helps other people. And I think that's the only, you know, the important thing that you need to really realize. So... It's a good answer. Are you okay with personal revelation just the way I kind of, is that, yeah. is that okay with yep. you? Is that the way it's worked for you? Yep. And Yep. Exactly. Yep. You explain it personal perfectly. Yep. So, um, another question, you've talked before we went live, you met, I asked you if you, any of your, you've come out to any of your companions, or I guess you have if they're on your Instagram, but right. just tell us about how that's gone, your missionary companions. Yeah. So they found out when I posted, I didn't text them separately. Um, most people found out when I posted, I only told a few select people personally. 
Um, but so they reached out to me and, um, I, you know, that was definitely a concern that I had because, you know, as a mission companion, you spend every waking moment together. You sleep in the same room. The only time that you're not together is when you're showering or using the restroom. So, you know, it's definitely a thought that I had in my mind when I knew that I finally decided that I was going to tell everyone, um, and I guess I left it up to them if they wanted to say anything to me, like, great. And if they didn't, that's fine. Um, I definitely, we're still friends, but we don't talk on an everyday basis, um, you know. Um, but when they, when both of them, the ones that did reach out to me, you know, just reiterated how much they loved spending time with me on our missions and how, you know, how much we grew together and you know, just remembering all of the great experiences that we experienced together because it was incredible. I loved all my mission companions um, so much. And it was just such a relieving feeling to realize when they said, like, this doesn't change anything and it doesn't change how, like, I felt like thinking about on the past. I'm just, all of my thoughts are like what we did together and, you know, what we were doing in that moment. Like, I don't have any negative feelings towards like you and, it doesn't make me uncomfortable because that was definitely like a concern that I had because, you know, it's definitely a valid concern. So I'm glad if your companions are listening, I, I've recognized this. I've had these conversations that sometimes just the people that have been close to you in your life, missionary companions that I assume are straight, that they're not, hasn't changed anything as deeply healing to you that they don't think, well, whatever, you know, did he have a crush on me or right. what was going on? And you, you just mature enough to kind of not go down that road and recognize you were both serving. Yeah. You both brought people into Christ and his relationship with you doesn't change that he knows your sexual orientation. Right. And I couldn't have done that at your age, you know, by the way, um, we were culturally taught to not do what your companions have done for you. And, um, I, part of the reason I'm on this podcast is to repent for those um, things that I thought and the way I treated people that were LGBTQ in my life. Um, and I recognize the progress we're making. Um, and I just want to reiterate on that too. Um, you know, I know you want to do what's best and what's important is what you're doing now. And, you know, listening to past podcasts, um, what you're doing is amazing and it's helping a lot of people. And I know God's very pleased with what you're doing. And that was why, you know, I reached out to you um, is because I knew this was, could be an amazing opportunity for not just myself um, to really think about, you know, what I've been going through my whole life, but to give other people an opportunity to kind of experience at least a little bit what I've been going through personally and to help people who have, are going through something similar and help them. And so I, would just say don't focus too much on that and realize what you're, you're doing kind. right now. That's the only <laughs> thing you can do is live for now. What's in the past is in the past. So you're very kind. That's kind of who you are, Blake. Um, I love, we've talked about this. I love Elder Gay's talk. I can't remember what year, or what the title of it was, but he's a member of the first quorum of 70. He talked about giving a blessing to his sister who was never truly active in the church listeners and and he I think the words he used was a rebuke of the spirit because he didn't see her as God saw her and he kind of defined her as somebody that did not fully participate in the church but didn't understand the totality of her situation and yeah 
I love that talk, listeners, because it's relieving. I don't have to go around judging everybody. Um, I just can go around living the commandment to love the neighbor, love my neighbors, myself, um, have a personal relationship with my Savior, work on my own efforts to keep my commandments. But that doesn't require me to assess everybody else's commandment keeping. Yeah. And it's relieving. It I have is. felt more just relief in my life, listeners, as I've just um, worked on just loving everybody. And I look at the foundational parables that Christ taught and all those principles to me give us context of how to handle the challenges of today that could divide us, but could be our finest moments. Some of the families with LGBTQ family members, you know, even with someone who stepped away from the church says, this has been our finest family hour. This has brought us closer together. We have more honest, vulnerable, authentic conversations. We're all more united in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though some aren't fully participating in the church, we are close. And I think that really makes our heavenly parents happy is when um, their children get along and their differences. Elder Cook talks about unity and diversity. Um, I think unity and sameness is easier, but unity and diversity is harder. But I think it's where some of the greatest paydays are. And so you know, Blake is just part of the same human family I am, yep. listeners, and I hope you can feel his spirit. We said a prayer ahead of time. I hope you can sense his desire just to do the very best he can with the, the road he is walking and all the lives he is helping along the way. And often in his story, he's thinking about the implications for others, for his mom, his dad, people, Um and I just think that's an insight to the man you are, the Christ-like attributes you have, and and the great life you had ahead of you, Blake. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I believe you have a great life ahead of you, and I'm glad you're taking God with you. Me too. And um, our community is better off with you in it, and I'm Thank glad you. you're alive. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I guess one last thing I want to say is, um, you know, whether you are still in the closet or not, or you have you have feelings that you know your friend or your son or your daughter, whoever it is, might be um, might be gay, um, is just to take one day at a time and give yourself grace. And when they feel like they finally have the opportunity to to feel comfortable enough to tell them, is just to to love them and to hug them and to reiterate that. Um, this doesn't change anything. Um, I think that's something that helped me uh, so much is, you know, when I posted on Instagram, it was, you know, a huge concern of mine was, you know, what kind of messages I was going to get, um, specifically the negative ones. And I didn't get a single negative message. And I think that shows me that people are coming a long way to starting to understand a little bit what I'm going through and what a lot of other people are going through, um, especially, you know, in the area that I'm in. Um, and, you know, just when I tell those, the kids who are still closeted is just take your time. Um, there's no right, like, I just don't think there's like a right time to, to come out. You just have to, to focus on, you know, the time that you're in right now. And if you feel like you're not ready to, whatever, whether you've had conversation with your parents or, you know, they've said something that's offensive um, towards who you are, which has happened to me. Um, I think it happens to everybody. Um, you know, just 
just assess where you're at. And if you don't feel comfortable and it's not going to put you in a good place to tell somebody, then just wait. And I can promise you that there will be an opportunity for you to be able to, to finally express who you are as a person and to tell someone. And, um, and it's a really beautiful thing. It, it gets better. It gets easier. Um, and it's just, like I said, it's, it's awesome that I think more people are understanding that this is a really real thing. Um, it's something that you don't choose. And, um, you know, I've had conversations with, you know, my, in the past where, you know, like how, how could this be a choice? Why would somebody want to, you know, go through what I was going through at the time when I was in such a bad spot and, you know, just recognize that and know that it's going to get better and there'll be an opportunity to, for you to, to finally be who you are and to tell people and to feel good about it. So great, great closing segment. Well, we'll let you go, listeners, wherever you are, driving, working out, falling asleep, waking up. I don't know where you are, but wherever <laughs> you are, Blake, Hogue, and Richard Osler are signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.